For more than 60 years, Crawford Broadcasting has made a name for itself, being one of the country's biggest names in Christian media. Our broadcasts spread the word of God and bring you important information to everyday life. Founded in the late 50s, Crawford Broadcasting is currently bringing the gospel to 22 radio stations from Southern California to Rochester, New York. We would be honored to have you become a listener of our exceptional, hopeful programming by tuning in to AM740 or going online to kbrightradio.com. For more than six... John chapter 15, we've been teaching for the last several weeks a series entitled Steps to Answered Prayer, this is one of those things that I really ought to teach once a year, each and every year. Uh, we don't. We, we get involved in other things, and many of my series go 32 weeks anyway, so. <laughs> so we don't always make time for it, but this is something that is good for us to go back, and no matter how many times we've heard it, to go back over it again and again and again. Because there's nothing more important than you knowing how to get an answer to your prayer. And the Bible says God wants you to have answers to your prayers. Now we've looked previously at the scripture that tells us that there are different kinds of prayer. And there are different rules that govern those different types of prayer. And so one mistake that it seems that the modern day church, and I don't think it's exclusive to this day, but certainly is prevalent in this day, that the modern day church tries to put all kinds of prayer in the sack, mix it up together and dump it out. And as a result, they wind up using or trying to use the principles that govern one type of prayer for other types of prayer, and it doesn't work. As Brother Hagin used to say, it'd be kind of like trying to play ba uh, basketball with football rules. And that doesn't work. It doesn't bring results. And a lot of people, because they fail to get results in prayer, they know they pray earnestly, they know they're, they're sincere in their desire for God to do something for them. But because they don't receive answers to their prayer, they lose confidence in God. Well, folks, God's never the problem. If you want to take a wee line from this morning's service, God's never the problem. If there's a problem, it's got to be on our end. It's got to be on our end. Now, here it says in John chapter 15, verse 7, Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Please notice that he puts the responsibility for answered prayer on you and me, not on God. I know that makes a lot of people flinch. But the fact of the matter is God's given you the tools to get an answer to your prayer every time. It's up to us whether or not we're going to utilize those principles. In Oh, what's his name? Mark. In Mark <laughs> chapter 4, Jesus tells the story of the, par uh, the parable or the story of the sower sowing the word. And his disciples come to him and ask him, what does this mean? And he makes a statement to them. It's about in verse 13, 12, 13, somewhere around there. He makes a statement that unto them, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, it was given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. The mystery of the kingdom of God. Well, what's a mystery? A mystery is something that's not easily seen. A mystery is something that's hidden or shielded from view. And Jesus seems to be saying, the information I'm giving you, my disciples, and if it belongs to them, it belongs to us too. The information I'm giving you will help you uncover and disclose that which is hidden from view. That are those principles which the whole kingdom of God ro rotates and revolves around. Thank God we're privileged to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. Amen. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Notice verse 8. He says, herein is my father glorified. Herein, in this manner, you having what you will. You getting your prayers answered. In this manner, or herein, is my Father glorified that you, that you bear much fruit. God wants you to bear prayer fruit. In other words, he wants you to get answers to your prayers. It glorifies him when you get answers, not when you fail to get answers. I was reminded 
of something I hadn't thought about in a long time. When I was a kid, uh, probably up until the time I was maybe 11, something like that, my dad had a, uh, a lake house. Now, before you start thinking elaborate, <laughs> this place was just an excuse for dad have, to have somewhere to go fishing. It was a cabin that was, couldn't have been seven or 800 square feet. And we were on a lake. It wasn't a big lake, but we were at the far end of the lake. And the place where we were, right off the shoreline, it was real shallow, mossy bottom, lots of weeds. Wasn't a place you really wanted to go swimming. We did, because we were kids, and that's just what you do. But it really wasn't a place that you'd want to go swimming. It was strictly for Dad to go fishing. And Dad didn't want me to go fishing with him. He took me a couple of times, but I was too, too loud and too antsy. He was convinced that I scared away all the fish. I think it's just because he didn't know how, what he was doing. But nevertheless, I got the blame for it. So I, I didn't go fishing much. But we had a boat, not very big, and it had a um, little electric motor on the back, trolling motor. It probably didn't generate two horsepower. Well, we'd get in that boat, my brother and I would get in that boat, and we'd go around there, staying close to the house, to the cabin, and so forth. And because of all the underwater reeds and junk and everything else, I could not get back home without getting everything gummed up in that motor. Once the weeds wrapped around the propeller and, uh, at the end of the motor, that was it. It didn't have enough power to clear itself. So you might as well just pull the, the um, motor back up into the boat, tilt it back up, and paddle in, which is what I did. Day after day after day after day after day. Now, my dad could get out there with, and miss every weed. He could get to the deep part of the lake. He knew just where it was. There was a place, one path that was cleared out so that you could come to and forth, you know, go back and forth from the deep part of the lake to the, to the dock. And he never missed. That electric motor was just as clean as a whistle for him. But every time I'd try, I'd wind up stuck in the weeds. Every time. Well, we wound up going up there one time, and uh, I don't know if the family knew it was planned. I didn't know anything about it. They didn't say anything to me. But they had drained the lake to do some maintenance or do some work on it or whatever. And so when I walked out to the, to the edge of the lake, where the edge of the lake used to be, all the water's gone, and I can see crystal clear where that pathway was. It went out like this and had a turn, and the turn always got me. It would go out and make a turn and then come back out like that. Well, the mystery of the underwater passageway had been forever solved for me. Once I saw where it was, when the lake refilled, I could get in and out without ever having any more trouble. Now, folks, the kingdom of God is governed by spiritual principles. And those spiritual principles are by and large hidden and mysterious to so much of the church world. Not because God doesn't want us to know, but because he wants us to dig and draw nearer to him to find out what they are. But once we find out what they are, then we ought to be able to navigate through our prayer life successfully 100% of the time. Thank you for your enthusiasm. <laughs> that's true, isn't it? Amen. Well, that's what Jesus is telling us here. That's why the Bible refers to things the way that it does. You need to understand that if you're not willing, if anyone, not you just specifically, but anyone, any child of God that's not willing to find out what the principles are and to operate by them, God will let you not get answers to your prayers. It's not his fault. If the word provides us the answers and we don't utilize them so that we can pray effectively and get results every time, then that's on us, not him. God will let you go without things that Jesus paid for you to have. if you refuse to operate by spiritual principles. Paul writing to the church in uh, Corinth, first letter that he wrote, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 
He said something like this. He said, the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. You're not going to know spiritual principles by physical things. He says, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. He says, they're foolishness unto the natural man, which means spiritual principles don't always make sense to people on the outside. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you want, ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified. God wants nothing more than you, for you to get answers to your prayers. But whether we do or not is up to us, as we said. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 tells us that we have overcome the world, and this is the victory that overcometh even our faith. Well, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the prayer of faith. Now, the prayer of faith could be defined by any number of characteristics that the Bible reveals to us. For example, the Bible says about God and his operation of faith that he calleth things that be not as though they are. So the prayer of faith could be called the prayer that calls things that be not as though they are. Prayer is also identified in Mark chapter 11, verse 24 as the prayer that believes that it receives when it prays. So we could use that definition for prayer, the prayer of faith, the prayer that believes that it receives when it prays. Now, Jesus did not just pray the prayer of faith in his ministry. He prayed all kinds of different kinds of prayers, and so will we. But Jesus, praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, said, Father, this is not the prayer of faith that he's praying in that instance. He said, if, this, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, meaning the crucifixion. I believe he's drawing back from spiritual death. I don't believe he's drawing back just from physical death. But he knows he's going to be separated from his father. He knows he's going to be made sin. He knows his father's plan of redemption is for him to be raised again the third day. We know that he knew that because he taught the disciples plainly that that was what was going to happen when he went to Jerusalem at the appointed time. So he's praying a prayer of consecration or dedication of his life to God, even though he doesn't want it to be that way. He knows that it's the only way that the price can be paid. So he says, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Now that phrase, not my will, but your will be done, has been co-opted by the modern day church for just about every kind of prayer that they pray. Well, the problem is, you can't pray in faith by saying, if it be your will. Because faith begins where the will of God is known. If you don't know what the will of God is, you cannot. It is impossible for you to pray the prayer of faith. Because the prayer of faith is based on a knowledge of what his will is. The prayer of faith is based on the truth of the word of God that reveals to us what God wants us to have and what Jesus paid for us to receive. Jesus certainly didn't stand before Lazarus' tomb and say, Father, if it be your will, Lazarus, come on out here. Wouldn't that have been silly? But the reality was, is, if Jesus had said that, then he wouldn't have gotten any results either. Because he was bound to operate by God's principles. James talking about the prayer of faith, he said this. He said, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. But let him ask in faith. Well, that'd be the prayer of faith then, wouldn't it? Let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavers is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. He said, let not that man, the man that wavers, let not that man think that he should receive anything from the Lord. Well, that tells us two different things. It tells us the prayer of faith is the prayer that changes things or receives things from God. But the prayer of faith is always the prayer that doesn't waver. It's the prayer that receives and the prayer that doesn't waver. So when Jesus is telling us that if we abide in him and his, word, his will, which would be his word, abides in us, then we'll ask what we will. Now, how is that or why is that the criteria? Well, it's very simple. If you know the word of God, you know what the will of God is. And once you know what the will of God is, you can act accordingly. Jesus, standing before Lazarus' tomb, said this. He said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. 
and that you hear me always. He was just saying that for the benefit of the people that were around there. So Jesus had already prayed about Lazarus. He had already come to the understanding through talking and fellowshipping with his heavenly father of what was going to be. He had already told his disciples before he went, took the three days journey to get to where Lazarus was. He had told them that Lazarus will rise again. They didn't get it. They, didn't, they either didn't understand it or didn't believe it or both. But Jesus had already talked to his father about it. So when he stood before Lazarus' tomb, he knew exactly what the will of God was. Isn't it interesting that nowhere did Jesus ever have to stop and pray during his earthly ministry to find out if it was the will of God to heal somebody? Because that seems to be step number one for most of the church. They'll pray, Lord, heal our brother or heal our sister if it be your will. I guess the unspoken part of that is, and if it's not your will, just let them die. Jesus never did that. For all the ministers and all the preachers that have said that God sometimes uses sickness to teach us. Now, folks, we know that that can't be the truth all the time. Because if we were sick because we were in the will of God to learn something, then us trying to get well by going to a doctor would be sin. And if sickness was the teacher that God uses, then it would behoove us to pray, Lord, make us sicker. <laughs> Nobody thinks that way, though, do they? <clears throat> Nobody's willing to be honest about it like that. The group that says God makes people sick to teach us something won't finish the thought. Thank God he doesn't. Thank God he never uses sickness. If God was to use sickness, if God was to put it on you, where would he get it? <clears throat> he didn't make it. At the end of his six days of creation, he looked at the earth and said, this is very good. And there was nothing that was there to hurt or harm mankind. Sickness was not present. Well, the Bible says on the sixth day, at the end of the sixth day, God made an end to everything he created. So that, that means he could not have come back after the fact and created sickness in order for the Bible to be true. Now, Jesus knew what the will of God was in every situation. He knew sickness was always of the devil. He knew healing was always the will of God. So he simply looked for faith and taught people about the character and the nature of God and about the kingdom of God and what God wanted for us or wanted for them when he was here. And operated or ministered accordingly. Most of the things in life can be identified as to what God's will is in his word. Now there are some specifics about our life that we're going to have to find out on our own. We're going to have to find out in prayer. When it comes to where we live, what kind of job we get, and things like that. The Bible doesn't tell us any of that. So those are things that we have to find out from God by fellowshipping with him and letting him speak to our hearts. But outside of that, most everything else in life, the vast majority, 98% plus of things that we deal with in life, you can find out what God's will is by looking at his word. And that's why Jesus put the criteria of the word abiding in you in this verse. If you abide in me, well, that's your choice. And... If my word abides in you, that's your choice too. Then you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. It shall be done unto you. Well, we're talking about the principles or the steps to answer prayer, and these are the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But thank God he's revealed them to us. So we'll go through the first three real quickly, and then we'll get to one, the step number four. Step number one is decide what you want from God. Decide what you want from God. You're going to have to be specific when you pray the prayer of faith. Now, if somebody went to the grocery store, got their cart, started pushing around the store, going up aisle after aisle, sooner or later, somebody that works there is going to say, ask if they could help you. And if you responded, well, I just want some groceries, and went back to pushing your cart, by the middle of the afternoon, they're going to have called somebody to come get you. But you could send a little child to the store and tell them to get a loaf of bread, and they can come out with it. So when it comes to 
the prayer of faith, you're going to have to be specific. Decide what you want from God. And then there's another part to that, and that is find the scriptures that tell you that it's yours. Find the scriptures that promise you what you want from God and meditate on those scriptures. Get those scriptures firmly fixed in your heart, not just in your mind, so that you're ready to use them against the devil when he comes, because he will. No point in being afraid of it. You can overcome him by quoting the word just like Jesus did, but he will come. So be ready to use those scriptures against him when he shows up. Now step number two becomes real simple. Pray and believe you receive when you pray. Mark eleven twenty four. therefore I say unto you what things soever you desire. Talking about your desires again. And again, if the word is abiding in you, then you know what God's will is. Therefore I say unto you what things soever you desire, when you pray, when you pray, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Now people get bent out of shape about when. When is my answer going to come? When is the Lord going to move? When? And the only when that the Bible talks about is concerning the time of your prayer. When you pray, believe that you receive them. Not when you see them, then believe. And I think a lot of people unconsciously are doing that very thing. They're waiting until they see the result before they believe in the result. Which means, which ensures that you'll never see the result. The devil wants you to think about time. God wants you to focus on truth. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them right then when you pray, and you shall have them. John said it this way, 1 John chapter 5, about verse 14, I think it is. He said it this way. He said, this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will or his word, that's one and the same. If we ask anything according to his will, then he hears us. And if, literally since we know he hears us, we know that we have the petitions that we ask for. Now, what does that mean? That means the key to getting God to hear and answer your prayer is the word of God. That's why step number one is find the scriptures that promise you what you want and get them firmly fixed in your heart and not just in your mind. If we know that he hears us, then we know we have the answer. If we know or since we know that praying his word means he hears us, then we can get an answer every time. We can get an answer every time. So step number two is the easiest part of this. Ask God for what you want, what you found scriptures for that promise you, what you're asking for, and believe that you receive those things when you pray. Now, step number three starts the prayer fight. Paul told Timothy to fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on eternal life. We can't be talking about him getting saved. Timothy's already the pastor of the church at Ephesus. So when he says lay hold on eternal life, he's not talking about come to Jesus and give your heart to him. He's talking about taking hold of all the things that Jesus purchased for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. Because there is a fight to faith. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven suffers violence since the time of John the Baptist until his appearing, Jesus' ministry, culminating in the cross. He said the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, violence and the violent take it by force. Well, what force is he talking about? It's got to be the fight of faith that Paul wrote to Timothy. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Well, how do you do that? Well, you're going to have to guard your heart. You're going to have to take hold of every thought. Remove every thought that does not contribute to your faith that you believed you received when you prayed. Now, thoughts are governed by observations, associations, and teachings. So you're going to have to be careful about places you go, about teachings that you hear and people that you hang around with. It'll destroy your faith. Listening to the wrong people. Do you realize some people's Many people's prayer life is a disaster and is a failure because of the church they go to. Amen. 
Proverbs says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. One translation of that verse says it this way. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. People have died for saying the wrong things. People have died for saying the wrong things. Do you realize some people's life has been cut short because of churches they go to? Now, I know people pick churches based on a variety of things. Very few of them are based on the thing that it should be based on. And that is the word. When Jesus talked about the mysteries that govern the kingdom of God, he talked about your attitude toward the word. He didn't talk about comfortable pews. He didn't talk about short sermons. He didn't talk about people with personality. <laughs> By the way, I made a comment last week. Let me, let me amend something. My personality type makes up 2% of the population. You know, I, I told you that. That's not a surprise. Hardly anybody is like me. Most everybody would like to be like me. But not. No, no, no. I'm just kidding. Here's what I found out. I found out that my 2% is not the lowest group. We just edged out the sociopaths. And not by much. But people pick churches for a variety of reasons. And I know that everybody's not going to find our church to be their particular thing. And that's fine with me. God didn't send me to pastor the world. Whether he sent me to pastor you is up to you. But one thing I never have understood is over the years we've seen people come and go. And the people that have left our church to go to a church that doesn't preach the truth. I never have been able to understand that. Now, if you're picking one word church over another word church, okay. But to leave where the truth is being taught, to go where it's where people will tell you that what you have and what you've received and what you've been taught from the Bible is, is not true. That, I don't think I'll ever understand that. I sometimes wonder, did I do such a poor job that they can't tell the difference? But I don't think that's the case. At least that's not the only thing. But you're going to have to be ready. You're going to have to be ready with an answer when the devil comes. But you took step one. Remember, you put those scriptures that promise you what you want in your heart, not just in your mind. So now you're ready to use those things. But you're going to have to guard your mind. You're going to have to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Refuse to think anything that doesn't contribute to your faith. And I'm talking about your faith, about the thing that you ask God for. Remove every impression, every feeling, every dream, everything that does not contribute to your affirmation of faith that God has heard you, heard your prayer, and that you believe you receive. Refuse to allow anything to stay in your mind. Now, you can't stop the thoughts from coming to your mind, but you can stop whether or not they stay there. You can't help who comes to your front door, but you can't help who you invite inside. Amen. Now, the Bible says, Jesus said in Mark chapter 11, verse 23, we've talked about verse 24 about the prayer of faith, but he talks about the principle of faith in verse 23. <clears throat> and he said this, he said, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, so faith has something to do with what you say. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And this is the only requirement or, or warning he gave to us. And shall not doubt in his heart. And shall not doubt in his heart. But shall believe in his heart that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Matthew chapter 12 verse 34. Jesus said out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. So if faith is of the heart and faith is of the heart uh, faith that is of the heart is defined by speaking God's word, no matter the circumstances, but declaring and speaking God's word, those specific promises that guarantee that you'll get an answer to your prayer, that tell you that God wants you to have what you want him to give you. If speaking those promises, those 
verses of Scripture is faith of the heart, then doubt of the heart would have to be speaking anything else. And remember in the Old Testament, in Numbers chapter 13, it tells us the ten spies came back with an evil report. Well, what was the evil report? It was a report of doubt. It was them saying, we can't do what God said we can do. We can't have the promised land God said was ours. And God calls that evil. Now, the same people that would guard against immoral thoughts, the same people that would guard against thoughts to, to rob or cheat or steal from somebody, welcome thoughts of failure and thoughts of defeat. And here's the reason why you have to guard your mind. And the reason why guarding your mind is guarding your heart is because the things you think on are going to be the things that come out of your mouth. The things that you think on will be the things that you see. And they will come out of your mouth. Well, you've got to avoid that. You've got to keep that from happening. You have to stop that. So destroy every image, every vision, every feeling, every impression, every dream. Make sure that those things do not stay in your mind. If doubts persist, and they will, Speak to them, rebuke them, and get your mind fixed back on what God's word says is yours. Now that brings us to step number four. Step number four is to praise God for your answer. Or we might say it this way, praise your way to victory. Praise your way to victory. Remember the victory is up to you. John said, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. But that victory is going to have to be dependent on you keeping the principles and following the principles that the word of God outlines for prayer and for all of the kingdom of God. So praise your way to victory in your waking moments. Think, think on what God has done. Think on the things that he's blessed you with. Count your blessings and faith will increase. You count your blessings and faith will rise. It is speaking faith words and thinking faith thoughts that lead the heart out of defeat and into victory. You remember in the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, Jehoshaphat was surrounded by five enemy armies. And so he calls and proclaims a fast. He gets everybody to come worship God and serve God spend a day in fasting. And as they worship God, the Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon a certain person that must have been a prophet. Because this guy spoke up on behalf of God. And he said, this battle is not yours. It's the Lord's. And then he gives them instruction. He said, tomorrow go out against them. But don't worry, God will fight your battle for you. Well, the next morning, <clears throat> I doubt that everybody felt as excited as they did the day before. A day that they'd spent in prayer. A day they'd spent in looking for God's direction, and then God answered in such a marvelous way. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. You won't have to fight in this battle. Man, everybody can get excited about that. But then tomorrow comes. They don't feel as excited they're not as whipped up. As a matter of fact, they may be on an emotional low or letdown because they got so excited the day before. So Jehoshaphat reminds the people. He says, remember what God said to the prophet. It's not enough that God said it. Now we've got to act on it. We've got to be a doer of what he told us to do. So what did Jehoshaphat do? He put the singers and the praisers out in front of the army. Well, if they're not going to have to fight, it's not a big deal how he lines them up. Wouldn't hurt to put the singers out front. But if you were one of those singers, I wonder what the devil's trying to tell you. Now, there's all kinds of ways to look at this. The singers and the praisers could be out front, and they could be reminding themselves, God said, we won't have to fight. Well, it's a good thing they won't have to fight. What are they going to do? Hit them with their harp? 
But Jehoshaphat knew what we needed to know too. He put the singers and the praisers out front to sing. Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And the Bible tells us something that's instructive, amazing, but instructive. It says, when they began to sing into praise, when they began to sing into praise, the Lord set ambushments, and they started fighting against each other. Now, here's my question for you. Why didn't he set the ambushments the day before when the prophet spoke? That would have been the perfect time in my thinking. That way they could have dedicated themselves beginning the next morning to just go pick up the stuff that everybody left. But God didn't set the ambushments until they began to sing into praise. So we could say this. We could say they knew the will of God. The will of God had been referred or been identified the day prior to the singers and the praisers going out. But in order to be a doer of the word, in order to be operating in faith, they've got to take action that shows that they believe that God told them the truth. So when you praise your way to victory, what that really means is be a doer of the word. If God says healing belongs to you and you praise God for healing before you see the results, that shows that from your heart, Believing with your heart, you're being a doer of the word. And if the battle is already won, thank God our battles are won even more so than Jehoshaphat's because of what Jesus did. If our battle has already been won, then what is there left to do other than praise God? Now, I understand people don't normally think like that. I understand that you have to be taught in the word and accept the word to be true, to be taught like that. But those are one of the principles that govern the kingdom of God. Those are one of the principles, one of the mysteries that the word of God has revealed to us. It means we accept God's word as the power to perform what his word said he'll do. Paul and Silas did the same thing. Acts chapter 16 it says they went to Philippi, the chief city of Macedonia, and they cast the devil out of a little girl that was telling fortunes. Well, that didn't sit real well with the people that were making money off of her. So they caused a riot, and then the Roman soldiers came in, took Paul and Silas without any due process, or what we know is due process without any trial or anything else. They beat them. Because they were told by the, the ones that lost their means of gain to the fortune teller. They told them that Paul and Silas had caused the problem, caused the uproar. So the Romans had beaten them and put them in jail. And the Bible says, beginning in verse 25, Acts 16, verse 25, it says, And at midnight, I believe it was literal midnight, but it could also, also refer to the midnight hour in your situation, the darkest hour. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. And suddenly, there was an earthquake, and every prison door opened. Everybody's chains and stocks and the things they were bound with fell off, and everybody was set free. When they began to sing and to praise, suddenly there was an earthquake. Well, somebody might say, but Pastor Mike, that doesn't say they were praying the prayer of faith. Well, if you were in, beaten in prison for preaching the gospel, getting a little girl delivered, what would you be praying for? Some people will try to put on a real religious or pious look and say, oh, I would have just been praying for the will of God to be done. I would have considered it an honor to suffer for the name of Jesus. Well, they had already suffered. They'd been beaten. They'd been jailed illegally because Paul was a Roman citizen. I believe from the results they got that they're praying to be set free. Paul knew that God didn't send him to Philippi to, be, to spend his ministry time in jail. He sent him to Philippi to start and establish a church like I, just like he did everywhere else he went. 
So I believe they were praying to be set free. And they were. Turn with me over to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Paul writing back to the very people that were aware of what had happened that we just described. Casting the devil out of that little girl and being thrown in prison. And being supernaturally released from prison or freed from prison. Paul writes back to them in verse 6, beginning in verse 6 of Philippians 4. He said, be careful for nothing. Don't be anxious or don't fret or have any anxiety about anything. Now, folks, if God tells us to do something, then he has to furnish and provide the means for us to do it. If God says be careful for nothing and we don't have the ability to not be careful, to not be worry-free, then we have a right to challenge God's justice. That would make him unjust to require something of us that he didn't provide us the ability to do. That's why everything we see that the Bible says for us to do, we should look at and understand that whether we feel like it or not, whether it looks like it or not, we have the power to do just exactly that. So he said, be careful for nothing. Don't be worried. Don't have any anxiety about anything. But in everything, if you're not going to worry, what are you going to do? But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. In everything, well, concerning the healing that you want to receive for your body, concerning the finances that you need in your life, in everything, by prayer, anything you need to receive from God, of course, is governed by the prayer of faith, as we've been talking. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Notice thanksgiving is just as big a part of it as prayer. Notice Paul puts thanksgiving on an equal par with praying according to the will of God. Asking God for the things you need. See, sometimes people have the idea, I don't hear this much anymore, but in days gone by, much more so. I remember people in the church I grew up in saying, well, God knows what I need. If he wants me to have it, he'll bring it to me. Well, Jesus addressed that. Jesus, I think it's in Matthew chapter 6, said, your heavenly Father knows what you have need of. God knows your needs. But he doesn't stop there. He said, God knows what you have need of before you ask him. He still expects you to ask. He still expects you to ask in faith. He still expects you to ask unwaveringly. He still expects you to ask and believe you receive when you pray. He still expects you to ask with thanksgiving. Well, what do we You may get to the point where you're kind of wondering why you're not worrying. I've had the devil tell me certain times. I've had the devil tell me, you know, you ought to be worried about this. And I've thought about it and thought, well, you know, there were times where I would have been worried about this. I wasn't aware of anything that I'd done differently in that case that had kept me from worrying. And so in that sense, it passed understanding. I didn't understand why I wasn't worried. But I was just rejoicing in the Word. Well, the reality is the Word had taken root in my heart to a greater degree than it had the time before. I wasn't aware that it had, but I sure saw the results. So the Bible says, be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. With means to accompany something. Accompanied by thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Notice verse 7. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren. Finally, brethren. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think. Everybody say think. Think Think on these things. 
Romans 12, 2 tells us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. I think a lot of Christians must think that says removing of our mind. <laughs> because they don't see the importance of controlling your thoughts. They don't see the importance. Well, here again, if he told us in verse 6, if Paul told us by the Holy Ghost in verse 6, to be careful for nothing, that means we can be. We can be worry-free. We can live, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter how severe they are, we can live without worrying or being fretful or anxious. Which also means we can do what verse 8 says. We can think on things that are good and honest and lovely and just. And of good report, and if there be any virtue and be any praise. We can think on those things. That has to mean we can control our thoughts. So praise your way to victory. Thank God for the answer. Thank God for the answer. Before you see it, the Bible says in Romans chapter 4, verse 20, Abraham was strong in faith, giving God glory. He glorified God for the answer before he ever saw the answer. Now, what do you do in your prayer life? If you believe that God heard and answered your prayer, what do you do in your prayer life? Well, you're going to have to make every prayer from that point forward, every time that you pray, following the prayer of faith that you believe you receive your answer. You're going to have to make every one of those prayers following it to be statements of faith and not unbelief. What that means is you can't pray about it again. You can't ask God for it again. Now, there are some prayers that you can pray over and over and over again. Paul talks about that in uh, uh, several of the letters he wrote to the Ephesians, to the Philippians, to the Colossians, even a little bit to the Thessalonians. He said, I pray this way every day for you, that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you would know the hope of your calling and the riches of the glory of God's inheritance in you as a, as a believer and the exceeding greatness of his power that works in you. He said he prayed that over and over and over again. Well, Paul can be praying in faith, but not the prayer of faith. See, if the prayer of faith would work in that situation, then Paul could have just prayed for everybody that ever got saved in the future that they'd have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in God. But see, the prayer of faith is you governing or you praying about things concerning yourself. You can't, well, there are times when you can make the prayer of faith work for other people, but not many of them. You remember over in James chapter 5, verse 14, it says, Is any sick among you? Let them call for the elders of the church, and let them, the elders, pray over them, the sick, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith, verse 15, and the prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick. The prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick. The prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick. Being healed is being saved from sickness. The word that's translated saved there is a word that also is translated heal in other parts of the scripture. Well, we know he's talking about physical sickness, so he has to be talking about healing. So what do you do when you pray that prayer of faith? Well, every statement following that, every prayer following that. Every time you communicate with God following that point in time that you believe you receive your healing, you're going to have to make a statement of faith. Instead of asking God to do it again, thank him for hearing you. Thank him because the power of God's at work in your body, changing the physical circumstances. There was a situation, Brother Hagin told a story, talked uh, about that was, uh, uh, well, it just fits this situation real well. There was a lady in the crusade that he was holding in a certain church in Texas that he came out after the preliminaries were over and they were just about to turn the service over to him. The pastor was taking an offering and then they were going to sing a special song and turn the service over to Brother Hagin. Brother Hagin said that he came in late just about the time that they were going to turn the service over to him. Place is packed and there's a lady that uh, some friends of hers have saved a, a seat in the section over off to the side. And so she came in, just had sat down, and the pastor told what he was going to do about taking the offering. And she stood up and she said, Pastor Jones, I believe we need to pray for Sister Gray. I live right next door to her, as you know. And I've been over there several times during the day, and the doctors have said 
that they don't expect her to live past midnight. So we, let's pray for her. Well, the pastor said, yeah, I was over there earlier myself today, and, and it's just as you've described. Let's pray for Sister Gray. Well, they, they didn't, nobody led them in prayer. They just all lifted up their voice to pray. Brother Hagin said, I understood we were praying for her healing. Wouldn't you have? Wouldn't that be the implication? So they all prayed. The pastor finished the praying, you know, sounded like a giant roar, but then started dying down a little bit. And so then the pastor said, how many of you believe that he heard us? Everybody raised their hand. Well, they went on with a special song, turned service over to Brother Hagin. He ministered to the crowd next night. Almost the same thing happened. He comes in late. This woman comes in just the same time he does. Her friends have saved her a seat. And when the pastor started to take the offering, she spoke up again and said, Pastor Gray or Pastor Jones, let's pray for Sister Gray. The doctors were there just before service started. And he was very excited. He was first wondering why they hadn't called him during the night that she had passed away. But then he examined her and he said, whatever it was condition she had, whatever, she had passed the crisis. He said, well, she's come out of it. She's going to make it now. He gave instructions to the family to get her up and get her exercising a little bit, a couple of times a day. And so she said, uh, the woman in church said, but Sister Gray is still very weak. Well, she's been bed fast for some period of time. Of course she's weak. Being weak in the sign she's not healed. The healing power of God has already started to take effect in her. But the lady in church says, she's still very weak, so I think we ought to pray that God would complete the healing. Well, what did they pray the night before? That God would halfway heal her? <laughs> and so the pastor joined in. pastor said, yes, I'm aware of the same thing. We know God's touched her. Now let's pray he'll bring her to complete recovery. Brother Hagin said he was standing in the back behind the curtain. He's standing in the back. He'd come in some of the back doors of the auditorium. And he said there was like a voice that was behind him. It was the Spirit of the Lord speaking to him. Having something to do, probably a lot to do with the prophet's ministry that he operated in. But there was a voice that sounded to him like it came from behind him. And he said, it said this, now they've taken her out of my hands. And she'll be dead in three days. And she was. And she was. What should they have done? See, what they did by praying the second time is saying God didn't hear and answer us the first time. Now, what they could have done, what the pastor could have done had he known, he could have said, well, wait a minute. Remember, we prayed in faith and look at the results that we've already gotten. We're not believing in the results, but we can see some things have changed. Let's just thank God for her healing and for the recovery of her strength. And she had lived. Smith Wigglesworth said this. He said, if you've prayed, talking about the prayer of faith, he said, if you've prayed seven times for any one thing to receive from God, you prayed six times in unbelief. See, if God's word is true, and if we really believe we receive when we pray, and again, I'm just talking about the prayer of faith. I'm not talking about other kinds of prayer. But the prayer that changes things, the prayer that receives from God, if we're praying the prayer of faith, then once we know God's heard us, that's it. For us, the job from that point forward is to merely stand in faith and thank God for the answer. Stand in faith and thank God for the answer. James said it this way. James chapter 1, verse 2, he said, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have a perfect work that you may be perfect in entire, wanting nothing. That means having the answers that you need. That means having the supply that you need. That means having the healing that you need. But notice he said, even in the middle of a hard place, count it joy. James is saying the same thing Paul said to the Philippians. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. With thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Well, Pastor Mike, how long are we supposed to thank God till you see the answer? How long are we supposed to be making our confession to faith till you see the answer? Jesus said, believe that you receive and you shall have. So that means we need to keep operating the kingdom principles, the mysteries of the kingdom of God, 
These principles that we're talking about that the Bible reveals to us, we're supposed to keep those up until we see the answer. How long is that going to be? I don't know. Neither you nor I control that. Well, it sure seems like we've had to stand for a long time. Folks, it's just as easy to speak faith thought, or think faith thoughts and speak faith words as it is to think thoughts and speak words of doubt. It's just as easy. And I've always looked at, this, looked at it this way. If I get my answer, whatever day I get my answer, meaning see it, I'm not talking about receiving it by faith, but whatever day it shows up in the material realm, I'm still going to be believing God for something. I'm always going to be believing God for something. It's the nature of the life we live in Him. We're always going to be in faith about something. So what does it matter what day it is? Believing for one thing is the same as believing something else. But the devil wants you to think that, oh, you've blown it. You've made a mistake. And very often, he gets people to swallow and believe his thoughts of doubt. And once they pray them, or once they speak them, then they've taken themselves out of faith and put themselves in unbelief. I told this story, um, well, I've told it some in healing school. I don't know if everybody's heard it. But there was uh, a time a couple of months back that I just got to thinking, well, it was associated with the first of the year thing because I was believing to have my healing, not to receive it, but I was believing to have my healing by the end of last year. Well, the end of last year has come and gone. Now, I can show you a ton of improvements, but I wanted the whole thing gone. I just get frustrated with it. There's no pain associated with it anymore. There's no, well, the, the biggest part is just the embarrassment of people seeing me shake. But I'm shaking a whole lot less than it used to be. There's something supernatural has had to happen because of the four neurologists that I've been to. None of them predicted that it could happen like this. The picture they paint is that symptoms get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And sooner or later, you wind up just being a blob of jello. That's my description, not theirs. I'm not sure you can find that in a medical dictionary. But that's pretty much what they've identified. So anyway, first year came along. So I decided, didn't talk to the Lord about it, didn't ask him about it. I just decided that I was going to spend some time fasting. Because if there's something that I'm doing wrong, God can't be the problem. If there's something I'm doing wrong or something I'm not doing enough of, then I need to, I need to know that so to change the situation. I'm not looking to change God. That'd be stupid. But I am looking to see if there's anything I need to change in me. So I kind of cleared some things out and had a stretch of a couple of days where I was just going to spend fasting and praying. So, the day was going to start, tomorrow was going to be the start of my time. And I went just very calmly, just very casually. I was in the middle of doing something else. I hadn't separated myself to pray or anything like that. I just very calmly said, now, Lord, you know I've set these days aside coming up to where I'm going to seek you to see if there's anything that I'm supposed to be doing or not doing that I should or whatever. And instantly, instantly, the Lord spoke Mark eleven twenty two. Have faith in God. Well, I've got my answer. No need to fast. I've already got my answer. No need to spend that extra time doing the things I was planning to do. But what if I'd gone on ahead with that? What if I'd believed some of the teaching that's in the church now about fasting and, and the effect that it has and so forth? What if I had done that? I would have taken myself out of faith and into unbelief. See, once I had the answer, God didn't oppose me, isn't opposed to me asking the question. Lord, is there anything I need to do? Mark eleven twenty two. have faith in God. Well, I'm already doing that. So that's just him saying, stay on the same track, keep doing the same thing you're doing. But what if I had gone ahead with my prayer and fasting time and ignored what he told me to try to get some other answer? Well, the devil would have accommodated me. Remember the first voice that Jesus heard when he came out of his 40-day fast was the devil. And people have come out of fasting in times where they maybe sincerely but wrongly sought after the things of God or sought after God's direction when he already gave them direction in his word. There's a lot of people that have been led astray in that, way, in that manner or in that way.
lot of people. I've always had a good working relationship with the Lord. What he needed me to know, I've always been open to hear. He knows I'm open to hear it. And so if he's got something that he needs to get to me, it's his responsibility, not mine. If I miss it some way along the way, it's his fault, not mine. Because I'm open to hearing whatever he has to say and making whatever corrections he wants me to correct. But folks, anything other than continuing in prayer and thanksgiving or in praise and thanksgiving, anything other than that is us saying the words not enough. In the case of Sister Gray, the church praying the second night is saying one touch from God is not sufficient. And that unbelief will nullify your prayers. And folks, God will let you walk in unbelief. He doesn't want you to. But you're the one with authority in your life. You decide whether you're going to be in faith. You decide whether or not you're going to speak words of doubt. Your victory depends on you, not him. He's already made provisions for you to be victorious. Amen? Amen. So thank God for our healing. Thank God for our provision. Thank God for the answer to whatever we're believing for. In Jesus' name. Let's all stand. Let's just lift our hands and praise God for our answer. Father, we thank you that your word is true. We thank you that your word is enough. We thank you that the name of Jesus, which has made a way for us to take hold of everything that he purchased for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. We thank you, Father, that it is done. We believe we receive, and so we praise you for the answer. We believe that we receive, and so we count it done. Thank you, Father, for healing. Thank you for finances. Thank you for provision. Thank you for peace. Thank you, Father, for victory in our families. Thank you for victory and favor on our jobs. Thank you, Father, for working things out. Thank you, Father, for surrounding us with favors with a shield. Thank you, Father, that you restore our health and heal our wounds. Thank you, Father, that you've made an utter end of affliction, and it shall not rise again the second time. Thank you, Father. We bless you, Lord, and we forget not all your benefits. You forgive our iniquities. You heal our diseases. You redeem our lives from destruction and crown us with loving kindness and tender mercy. You satisfy our mouths with good things, Lord, so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, because we've set our love upon you, you deliver us. Because we've known your name, you set us on high. When we call unto you, you answer us. You are with us in trouble. You deliver us. And you honor us. With long life, you will satisfy us and show us your salvation. Oh, Father, thank you that every word of yours is true. Thank you that you're bringing to pass every word. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Well, we believe we receive. So what's left for us but to praise him? <clears throat> what's left for us but to thank him for the answer? What's left for us other than glorifying him? Hallelujah. We do glorify you, Father. We worship you, Father. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the work that you've done. We thank you that you've chosen us to know and understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Say this after me. I believe God's word is true. I believe that I receive by faith what the word of God promises me. Therefore, I rejoice because my heavenly father cares for me and he's made a way for my faith to give substance to that which I believe for. Amen. Amen.
Hallelujah. You know when the devil comes to you and tells you you don't have whatever you're believing for? Answer him by saying, my faith is giving substance to it. If he tells you you don't have the money, well, it may be a physical fact that you don't have the money. But answer him, my faith is giving substance to it. If he brings your healing situation, answer, my faith is giving substance to my healing. Make every thought, every statement, a statement of faith and not of unbelief. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you.